G'day, and welcome to season two of the Far North Leadership Podcast. I'm Jeff, and in each episode of the podcast, I interview a leader from the beautiful city of Cairns in Far North Queensland. It's called the Far North Leadership Podcast for that simple reason, because it features leaders from a variety of sectors across the Far North. I don't know about you, but every time I meet a leader or I overhear a leadership conversation, it helps me grow. So enjoy the conversations, and I hope you find something that applies to your life and your leadership in every single episode. This interview was like talking with a living leadership encyclopedia. Paul Campbell compares leadership to chaos theory, describes it as a journey, relates it to a word I'd never even heard of before, subsidiarity, and describes leadership as giving spirit to the organization you're in. Paul has been involved with over 22 schools throughout his career as a teacher and principal. He's currently the principal at Edgehill State School, and he's also been heavily involved in local, regional, and state organizations as a board member. I spent some time with Paul in his office, complete with a ringing school bell and the sounds of children playing in the afternoon. Paul, thank you so much for your time today. A pleasure. I'd love to hear about your favourite teacher when you were a student. Oh, that's a really good question. I mean, I was very, very fortunate. I had good teachers all the way through. But I also came from a family of teachers. My dad was a teacher, my aunt was a teacher. Uncles were teachers, great uncles were teacher. So in a sense, I had a lot of role models as well as my own sort of personal teachers. But I guess for me, it's around relationships, a lot of stuff. And it's someone who took an interest in me and saw me as, a, as an individual rather than as that's the class over there. And I think that's, that's always stuck with me. How did you make that decision to go into teaching yourself? Having the role models, I guess you had to get to a point of really owning that. Yeah, not sure. I don't think I ever wanted to do anything else. Um, and I, it wasn't family pressure at all. But it was just something that I was just assumed I would become a teacher. So when I finished school, I did do a, a gap year. Um, and then I went to college after that. So, uh, yeah, so something that was really just been part of me. Yeah. Mm. Was the um, step into leadership roles in the school uh, something that you kind of saw coming and, and went after or just naturally moved into that over time? I think it's a natural progression. Um, I started as a classroom teacher and I did two years basically on Thursday Island, which is quite a way away. And that was many, many years ago. And then I did, um, I went from there into an advisory role in across the Torres Strait Islands by visiting all the islands and providing support to schools. So I was a very young teacher, I was doing that. And I did that for three years and then it was an automatic jump to go to my own school. So I went to a one teacher school. And then it's not a high noble ambition at all. It was little things and I'm a believer in little things. Um, I needed to go to a school where I had another teacher with me. So that means I went to another school and then I got tired of mowing the lawns on Saturday. So I wanted a school that had a groundsman. Uh, so I went to the bigger school and then I was a teaching principal for many years and I thought, you know, I can't do either job properly. So I need to go to a school where I was doing one or the other. So that's basically been a flow from me and it's been a fairly natural progression. So I've, I don't think I ever had an ambition that I'm going to be a principal in the sense that I'm, you know, got to work my way through so I can become a, bigger, a principal of a bigger and bigger school. It's been quite a natural, almost organic process. Yeah, and you had uh, so much experience along the way in all those diverse places and types yeah, of schools. And I think that's one of the strengths uh, is that I've been able to have a lot of different leadership 
styles or environments um, in the sense that you get a chance to hone the skills. So in a one-teacher school, there's you and you know, 20 children and their parents and, the, and very much part of community. You learn so much. Um, I think we've lost a little, not that I would ever wish anyone to sort of have to do the, the kind of the circuit that, I, that many of us princ as principals did. We went all over Queensland for two years or three years, and then you moved on somewhere else and took your family with you. That probably wasn't, you know, um, something that families would do these days. But the opportunity to have experience and learn as you go is very valuable. What does leadership mean to you as a concept? Oh, you <laughs> I knew we'd get to that eventually. <laughs> and leadership is such a complex thing. And you know, we know how many books have been written about and how many different theories of leadership. I, I think I have a very simple view of leadership and it, it almost has a spiritual word to it, but it's not spiritual in the sense of religion, but it's giving spirit to the organisation that you're in. It's giving people the hope and the aspiration to do things better. And I think that's that's probably what I really believe about leadership. It's 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 the ability to take where you are, and, and I use in my own mind sometimes it's a journey concept. Leadership is about looking where we've come from or where the organisation has come from, where we are now and where we're going. And it's where we're going is the important part. And the driver for me probably is how do we make it better? I'm not necessarily a person that says, this is what we've done, this is the way we do it, and that's the way we're always going to do it. It's constantly, how do we do it better? And my job as a leader is to breathe the spirit into the people that I'm with, for them also to believe, hang on, how do we do it better? And set our aspirations high. If I had to grab a theory of leadership, it'd be one that might surprise you, and then it's a theory of chaos. Um, and because we can't assume that organisations are stable and harmonious and happy you know in that that sense that they're around people and they're around all the complex things that people are in their in relationships and working with in, in my case schools um, students teachers parents and that provides challenges because there's a human dimension to that so in a sense the leadership about me is taking chaos and I don't mean chaos is out of control I just mean there are so many different elements that you can't control and predict what they're going to be. Every day is different. And my job is to try and make sense of some of that. And if I had to use the simplest of analogies, it's that notion of, you know, a butterfly beats its wings somewhere and eventually you end up with the cyclone or the um, you know, hurricane somewhere else. We can pretend that everything is, is ordered. It's not particularly ordered. I don't think life's particularly ordered because there are so many things you can't predict. So my kind of job or my theory is that you can take that and you can work with that and try and make it predictable. Yeah. And try and make it better. Are you aware of Edwin Friedman's concept of a non-anxious presence in an anxious system? No, I don't think so. But I think it from just from those words, I think it would align with some of the things that I think about leadership and yeah. that, uh, how you do that. He, he writes, uh, I believe, uh, in a corporate but also a, a Jewish synagogue perspective uh, about how any and a counselor as well I think anytime you have a, an anxious system which is a, a chaotic system the one who is really going to bring change is the person who is a non-anxious presence within that anxiety mm. um, and so is your role as a leader then within that chaos not just to bring order or predictability but for you to be calm and yeah, stable and I think I mean I very much believe in in calmness and I think I'm fortunate from my perspective perspective I am a calm person I don't get overly stressed I can get stressed but 
um, yeah, my job is to maintain. And, and so mm. the way I deal with students and parents and all the things that you do with it is hopefully to be that calm, rational self that helps people. It's, you know, sounds a bit silly to say like the rudder of the ship, but it's, but in a sense it is keeping it on the journey. And yeah. I do believe leadership's a journey. Absolutely. Yeah. And I also believe that leadership isn't just one thing you can define. define. Um, it means many different things at many different times. So in times of a crisis, I may have to make decisions very quickly and very strongly uh, and say, this is what we're going to do. There are lots of other times when that, for me, would be the wrong way to do it. It's around when do you listen? When, how do you consult? You know, how do you stand back and overlook what's there and then try and chart a, a course forward? The notion of kind of being an eagle hovering in the sky, or maybe it's a drone these days, <laughs> it's probably not too far that you need to have a look and see all the different things that are happening, and all the outriders, and it's part of that. I also believe in leadership being a form of subsidiarity, which means that you go to the lowest level of an organisation, mm-hmm. and that's where a lot of the decisions should be made, and that's where you listen to. Ruling from the top of the mountain and saying, this is what we're going to do, may be needed at times, but it also... I think cuts out a lot of wisdom and voice that's there and ownership because part of leadership is bringing people with you you can lead but if you're the only one in the battle um, you know you don't have much of a chance of you know being successful can you tell me about what your leadership looks like on the ground especially in light of the was it subsidiary word you used big school is a challenge any any complex organization is a challenge and um, it is providing space and time I I try very hard to be available for people, and I do it in, in a number of ways. You know, the, the notion of an open office is something I believe in. I mean, it's very deliberate that I sit in this office and I'm directly on the foyer. I can hear and I can see an amazing amount, and people can hear, probably hear me, but they can see that I'm here, I'm present. And I think that's really important, uh, and providing those opportunities for people to talk with you. The leadership's not about having everyone agree with you, but it is around having some alignment. And I, I need people to tell me the things that I need to know. And it doesn't mean they agree, but, I, and it, but it's part of that. That's how you build subsidiarity. You give people roles and power in the sense they've got a power to contribute, that what they say can be valuable. Sometimes it's not, but, often, you know, but it's part of that process. And I probably, if I had to say what's my greatest failing as a leader, the ability to do that well because you get so involved in what you're doing and decisions got to be made and you're dealing with so many things that I know I don't do as much collaboration as I should do or want to do. Um, I try to be present for a number of other reasons as well. I'm always here early but I try and spend time outside just around before school starts and when school finishes and probably the happiest moments of my day uh, when I can get to see a whole lot of people come past and I say good morning how are you what are you doing today and it could be kids it could be parents it could be teachers and similarly and it's not the reasons you might think in a moment I I just love being able to be at the gate in the afternoon to say goodbye and it's not to say good riddance it's just because that's part of the day there's a beginning and an ending and um, I want our community engaged I want kids engaged and part of that is a relationship now I don't go in and teach them but I just love being at the school gate and saying you know good day and I could say you know goodbye or see you tomorrow you know 80 100 150 times it doesn't matter people know that I'm there it's that sense of presence I think is really important
Tell me about um, student councils, as student representative councils. I'm not sure what yeah, exactly yeah. you call them here. How do you build student voice? Mm. I mean, and that's a, that's a whole notion. It's just not around students. It's how do you build voice in organisations? And um, so within the school, one of the questions we ask is how do we provide teacher voice? How do we give them the opportunity? So we have a number of structures in the school around that. So part of it is that we meet with teachers regularly. Or I don't necessarily, but my deputies do. And then we have an overarching one that meets less frequently, which is a representative of each year level. And it's trying to find ways to give people voice to contribute in a way that they, that they can be respected and valued. And it's not around, I disagree with what you're saying. It's, hang on, these are the things that we need to be looking at. Don't think we're doing it right. We can do it better this way. Um, student voice is a bit more challenging in, in the sense that our students are younger. So the way we build student voice here is we have a student council which has representatives from students in each year level from grade, I think it's three to, to six. Um, we also have school um, leaders and that's like school captains in that old sense. But we do it for sports, we do it for STEM, we do it for language, we do it for music, we do it for international studies, a whole range of things. So what we've done, particularly with our school leaders, um, is that we they have responsibilities. So for example, you might be the school leader for a sports house so you have an obligation each week to run an activity for younger children within the school and whether it's a game that you organize or you're just being there so it happens with our um, students do art activities music activities language activities a whole range of things so they are developing their leadership skills by working with others so it's not just giving me us ideas it's developing their their skills and i think that's a good way to develop voice with your direct reports, who I presume are all deputies, or do you also have a business manager types? Yep. With your direct, direct reports, how do you um, balance, uh, I guess, a level of autonomy with their individual personalities and styles with alignment for the whole organisation? That's a really crucial question, and it's around the whole school in the sense of how do you build consistency across a, a level and you know, vertically and horizontally. Mm. Um, we, as a leadership team, we meet just once a week for an hour and a half to two hours where we talk about the sorts of things. I'll have some agenda, but I give them the opportunity to put the agenda first and we deal with their issues first. And often they cover my issues. Um, they have their responsibility. I also think that's part of it. You, you delegate. I don't think I have to micromanage. I ha have to know a lot and I have to trust what they do. Uh, and I'll intervene if I don't think, um, you know, we're going where we are because I have, you know, experience. Um, but yeah, they, they're people in responsible positions and so they need to have authority to do things and, uh, and that's challenging. Probably what I find hard is when it goes to the next level because I report up. It's not as though I'm the top of the organisation. I'm top of a very small cog within a very large system. I probably have more difficulty with that style than I do... Um, but providing accountability and space for people who are who are my direct reports, because mm. I don't I find this the bigger the system, the harder it is to get them to get bogged down in things like um, the clinical aspect of data or the you know the the bureaucracy of uh, systems. I'm not so great at that. I can be a bit oppositional to fire. Where does the audience for this go? Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I can be a little oppositional to fire in the sense that I don't see value in it. 
I don't necessarily want to do it. I'm a great procrastinator when I need to be. <laughs> Wisely selective in your mm. procrastination. Yeah. yeah. Do you uh, report up to the PNC or are they an advisory group? How does that work? Uh, the PNC is an advisory group mm-hmm. uh, and that's because there's a school, we have a school council and so I report to the school council. But again, it's, it's, it's different in the sense that it's not, they're not my employers. They can't make decisions around school operations. So in a sense that I treat them as my sounding voice, sounding board, uh, my ability to work strategically with that higher level. And that's a very effective relationship for me. And in a sense, my performance plan, um, my plans become my performance plan, which they would have some oversight of. But I actually report through to, as an independent public school, to assistant director, assistant deputy director general in Brisbane. Okay. And But because it's such a big system, there's not a lot of um, direct reporting there. But I have another uh, intermediate uh, in the sense of a regional director here in Cairns who um, I report to in some ways and school operations, but my actual boss is in, the, in Brisbane. Brisbane. Yeah, okay. Um, can we talk about community leadership a little bit? Yep. I know you, for many years you've been heavily involved on the board for um, Catholic education. Well, it was, it's interesting and probably fairly unique in the sense that as a state school principal, mm. for 20 years I was on the board of education for the Diocese of Cairns yeah. and for nearly all of that I chaired that board mm. and I was also the representative of this diocese on the Queensland Catholic Education Commission. And I did think I, For 12 years I think I did that. So. That made me a very unique person from both perspectives of a state school principal working with the Catholic Diocese Education and for the diocese and people to see, you know, how come he's a state school principal and he's doing this sort of stuff? But I, I, I don't have a very narrow view of education. I've got a very broad view of education. And so I saw that was a building on, on diversity and strength. And um, it was something I enjoyed greatly and I found it very um, fulfilling myself. Because... Um, we haven't spoken about leadership development, mm-hmm. particularly in my own self, but I, I believe you have to step outside of yourself. And by being with the, the Diocesan Board of Education, I was stepping outside. I brought an education background, I brought knowledge, I brought experience, but I had to step out. I didn't know that system. Um, so that was very fulfilling for me. I've been involved in a number of community organisations. I was the president of the Cannes String Orchestra for 10 years. Uh, I've been involved in a number of organisations. Um, been involved in the Chinese Association um, because my f- wife's family has a Chinese heritage. They came to Cairns in about 1901, so it's wow. a long it's a long heritage, uh, and I enjoy that that aspect of that. I think again, it's probably my leadership style. You need to know where you've come from to where you're going, and I think it's really important people know where they belong, both within a school setting but in a family setting. So for me. Uh, and my and my wife, our children needed to know where they've come from, where they're going, and to give them a sense of where they belong in the world. And mm. that was that was good for us to do that. Can you tell me about one of the best leaders that you've ever met? The best leaders I know have got some sort of story to tell, and it's around story bringing other people with them. So I think you need a narrative. Uh, in terms of school, I think school vision is quite important, and we all kind of laugh at mission statements and vision statements, but I think you've got to get one that actually works and what that you believe in, otherwise it's just a piece of paper. And um, so the leaders that I admire probably are those who've got a strong story and a strong sense of where they're going and how they get there and bringing people in. 
and relationships. So I'd rather not talk in terms of world leaders and you know the Mandalas or, or whatever. Um, but it's people who um, show regard for others, um, value them, respect them, and want you, they come with you. Yeah. Mm, absolutely. How do you think you've changed as a leader in the last decade? <laughs> um, I'd like to say I'm getting older and wiser. Um, <laughs> only one of those is true. Uh, <laughs> Definitely wiser. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Um, probably more of a sense that it's not around me. And I mean, I think leadership is a challenge. Humility is really important in leadership, I think. And you know, you're not the center of the universe. And you know, even, yeah, there, are, there are pressures around that. But I think, the, I think I've come to understand more the value of the collective in that it's the, we are greater as a sum than an individual part. Um, I guess my dad used to say to me as a you know, teenager growing up, it's not about you, it's not an I, it's a we, uh, in the sense of, yeah, it's, you know, there's, yeah, maybe we get older and we get wiser and those sorts of things. Mm, yeah. Are you um, starting to think about legacy in that? And I don't mean that you're you know, close to moving on or all passing away or anything like that, but just the what legacy are you leaving as a leader? Is that what you're getting at or not really? <laughs> that actually is, a, is a, a sticking point for me at the moment because legacy, I don't think you can control your legacy. I mean, I hope there is a legacy and I, you know, I know the sorts of things I'd like to continue, but whether other people see that as important whether it actually happens um, yeah it's, a, it's an interesting challenge as you get older and I am at the end of you know sort of a, a career um, like, like, yeah you, I don't think you can help but dwell on legacy but I don't know that it's a good thing to do yeah and not necessarily something you can control no you can't so, I yeah. mean I don't know who will be the next principal and I certainly wouldn't expect to have any control. I, I'd hope to put some things in place that they find very hard to move. Um, and, and for me, that wouldn't be in the sense of some of the, it would be, for me, it would be the things of the importance of a varied curriculum. I, I have strong views around where I think education's going. Um, I, and I think we need a much broader education than what's sometimes seen in the media and the politics at the moment of narrowing it down. So for me, the music, the arts, the, the phys ed, the sciences are important as the reading and the writing. And so we put a lot of place in this school around those, those sorts of things. Um, so I'd hope they continue. International education is one that's very important to me. You know, we, um, it's around where is our place in the world and our children growing up and our students in the school are citizens of a global world. And I just have to think back when I was at school how many of us went overseas and a lot of us tried to but it was something an excursion you went and you came back that's not anymore um how people live you know you know they go on holidays overseas they work overseas they do university overseas their family overseas um you know then when we talk about social media they are part of a broader world and we've got to prepare our kids for that and i think that's a real challenge for us around that mm. uh, and i also believe in a sense that our kids are not all right I have great hesitation around where we're going with kids in the sense that I don't see them as resilient as they used to be. I see them under a lot more pressures than they used to see. And I feel parenting has kind of gone by the way in the sense that um, 
parents see kids as their equals or see them as their friends. And so I think when that happens, you lose sort of some of the things that I think are essential for parents to do, which is to guide and lead. And it doesn't always make you popular. Uh, and it doesn't say to the kids, you've got the right. I mean, I see so many of it when parents come in and say, oh, well, let the child decide. Are you going to do this? Or what do you think? And I think some of those decisions are parental decisions um, that need to be made. But maybe I'm old-fashioned. Can a school have any, any place in helping a whole family? Or oh, it has to. Yeah, it has to. Um, yeah. how, how can you go about that? Um, school is a community. And it's, you can't isolate just the teaching part. So I spend a lot of my time with families, um, often dealing with the things that they find difficult, a lot of family dislocation, family strife. Unfortunately, in one sense, I get to be very involved in that. I think one of the things that is important for me to be is resilient, not emotionally detached, because the emotions have got to be there. But I've got to maintain an equilibrium, because that's how I can support other people to do that. And there are times, and when it's really hard to maintain that emotional stability and um, yeah there have been times when I've cried working with people because of what they're dealing with and they, it gets you and I think that's not necessarily a bad thing but it's not a good thing either but it's that you know we, we all have that human dimension and we've got to look after that so one of the aspects of leadership is how do you maintain leadership and how do you maintain your resilience as part of that so for me, a thing that I have to do is I have to have people who I connect with. And it's either as critical friends or it's professional friendships. I don't mean, you know, friendships and then we'll go and play golf or whatever, but it's in that sense of who do you talk to as a leader? And that can be very hard. And so it's finding those people who you can debrief to. In a school, teachers will debrief to deputy or to me, or whatever. Who do I debrief to? And who do I show my frailty to? Um, and that's a lot harder for people to do. And so it's important that you have colleagues that you can do that with. Because I think only colleagues really understand some of that. Um, because they, they're in the same um, mixture of all the things that we deal with. So um, that's really important. When you're going to sleep at night, what constitutes a good day for you as a school principal? I'm really fortunate that I go to sleep early and I go to sleep well. So I don't suffer from sleeplessness normally. If I do, it's because there's something really major happening. Uh, but a good day for me is when um, I've had human interactions and uh, I've enjoyed the interactions and people have interacted with me and, and I've enjoyed the things that I've seen and done. I, I'm fortunate, I'm easily satisfied in the sense that yeah, I find life good. Is there anything I haven't asked you that, that comes to mind when you think about leadership, especially for you as a, as a school principal? Um, yeah, probably in the sense that the skill set that I think a school leader needs, and probably all leaders need, is that sensitivity, sensitivity to others and the notion of not everyone's the same. So that, uh, in our, that term of differentiation is important to us, that we're not all the same and we don't teach all the same. So in a sense, leadership is differentiated in that how I work with you might be different to the way I work with you. You know, if you're an experienced teacher, uh, it would be different to working with a beginning teacher or a new parent, you know, with an experienced, capable parent. So that differentiation is important. But because this is such a multicultural school and deliberately so, um, I think there's a requirement that you have quite a lot of cultural sensitivity and cultural understanding. 
and that you acknowledge that not everyone comes from the same background and understanding that I that say I might have um, and it's acknowledging that yeah, there are lots of different life stories here all can be quite valuable but they're different and I have to understand the difference and be prepared to accept the difference I certainly don't think as a leader I have to be right all the time and some of the most valuable stuff is when people tell me in a nice way um, that we could do things differently or better mm, absolutely well Paul thank you so much for your time today uh, and for the school that you're leading, uh, f- full disclosure for this interview, I have four kids that go to the school here, <laughs> not getting reduced fees by doing this interview <laughs> or anything like that. But uh, our family really appreciates the school and for the reasons that you've said, the, um, the richness of the variety of curriculum and activities and the richness of the different cultures and people that are here. Um, and so, yeah, we really appreciate your leadership. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm privileged to be part of the school. I just love being here. In this season of the Far North Leadership Podcast, I'll release a new episode every month. All you need to do is subscribe on your favourite podcasting app and each new episode will appear when it's released. If you find this helpful or interesting, please pass it on to a friend or a colleague and maybe you'd even like to leave the podcast a review on your podcasting app. Thanks so much for listening.